and good afternoon from Maui, Hawaii. We're at 10 o'clock in the morning, West Coast, 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, East Coast, 4 o'clock. And uh, appreciate you being here. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. Unfortunately, I am not a father. I've never been a father. And really admire and respect what uh, what dads do in the world. So happy Father's Day to all of you. Happy Father's Day to mom and the kids, too. There's no kids' day, is there? <laughs> and welcome to our Ageless Wisdom Mystery School class for the day. Again, resistance to change is our topic today. Why is it so scary? Uh, fear of the unknown? Yeah, sure, that's frightening, but um, sometimes fear of the known is just as frightening. There's really only two things that motivate us, and that's what we're going to look at today. How do we motivate ourselves to face this fear and to take action? What are the steps or the tools that we can pull upon when we recognize our resistance to change and growth? That's our topic for the day today. I want to remind you as we begin, I was uh, saying this before the event began, but a lot of folks come on in the first few minutes, so I'm going to repeat myself. I just want to take a, a moment to remind you how many different ways you can participate in these weekly events. First, live, every Sunday, as we're doing right now, you have your choice of the webinar uh, via the web or by telephone. And, of course, as you probably have noticed by now, uh, most of you anyway, if you use the web link that's in the emailed invitation you get every week, that'll bring you to a page where you can choose to listen by web or telephone. If you use that same link after the event is over, you get a replay of the event, which you can listen to streaming or even download to your computer. You might say, well, I'd like to save all of these. You're certainly welcome to do that, although we have an archive that you can access at any time. Again, no charge. It's on the website, theagelesswisdom.com or michaelbenner.com. They both go to the same page, theagelesswisdom.com. And make two clicks on the initial page, what we call the splash page. Just choose home page. Go inside, click on home page, and once inside you see all the navigation tools on the left. Simply click on web teleconference for the archive of all the past events by date and by theme as well. And finally, we have a free podcast available for you if you'd like to receive these programs by podcast and uh, listen to them either on your computer or your portable MP3 player, iPod, whatever then subscribe to the podcast without charge at the iTunes Music Store. Okay. Just open iTunes, go to the Music Store, enter my name, Michael Benner, into the search box, and two podcasts will come up. One says The Ageless Wisdom, the other Breakthrough Radio. And uh, right now both of those are feeding this teleseminar. And uh, we may go back to doing the Breakthrough Radio podcast, so... I'd say of the two, you may want to choose the Ageless Wisdom. Right now, they're both feeding this program. 
So there's a bunch of ways you can participate. And lastly, as we go into our topic for the day today, I want to remind you and encourage you to share the webmail, the email, and the web links is what I mean to say with your friends, with those that you think would be interested. And that's how we grow this. And the bigger it is, the better questions we get, and then we all benefit. By forwarding the emailed invitations to your friends or just telling them, they can go to the website, theagelesswisdom.com, click on homepage, and then on web teleconference, and they can always join us live or after the fact in that way as well. But share with your friends, and you got somebody to talk to about the event afterwards. A real important, uh, a very important part, or important, <laughs> I'll make up a word, a very important part of, of facing our fear is building a, a network of people who support you in your growth, uh, who recognize your strength and help you identify areas that need improvement as well. Some might call those weaknesses, but not me the areas that need improvement as well. So develop your network of friends and consider right now, who would I like to share this with? Who could I forward this email to when it comes next Friday and get them on board or or forward the last email to them so they can listen to the replays or just tell them about the website. Okay, I appreciate that. Okay, let's get into our topic today on this Father's Day. We're talking about resistance change even if we know or have a strong suspicion that this change is for my own good, and that it's positive, that it's beneficial, that it's uh, not just random change or lateral change, but it's growth, even then we're frightened by it and we go into a natural resistance. In the wisdom traditions, and I'm always interested to see the way physics plays out in metaphysics, or vice versa, actually, as metaphysics are the causal laws, and what we see happening in physics are more the effect of the metaphysical cause. Uh, what we see uh, is a kind of spiritual inertia, where a body at rest, uh, this is in Newton's Laws of Motion, a body at rest tends to stay at rest, and a body in motion tends to stay in motion, unless or until acted upon by another force. Well, there's like a spiritual inertia as well, which means a human being at rest tends to stay at rest, and one who's growing and changing and evolving, learning from his or her mistakes, uh, it, it, it is going to continue to go, to grow, and to improve and a little bit of momentum, you know, to play off the laws of inertia, that's pretty smart. And to see that in psychology or philosophy, in metaphysics, so to speak, or as part of the ageless wisdom, means we got to get going. And we have to look at directly and account for our fears of any kind of change, even growth. Um, I've had a number of people over the years ask me, what is fear of success? You hear the phrase, fear of failure we hear also, but why would I be afraid of success? Uh, this is a good place to begin our discussion. And the answer is because, like failure, success is also an unknown 
commodity, an unknown quantity. Well, hell, it's just unknown. And so that's what fear is. Fear is the feeling of things unknown. Uh, Note takers, this is a good place to write. That's the very first thing you want to write down. That fear is a feeling or set of feelings that goes with anything unknown. So when I'm afraid, what I know about my fear is that I don't understand it. Okay, That's a little paradoxical, but that's really what we're saying. And by the way, and this is huge, all emotional pain, you can write this down too, this is not commonly known. I know therapists that haven't figured this one out. All emotional pain, everything that hurts or irritates or upsets you in any way is supported by fear of things unknown, at the center of which is you. You are the major unknown quantity or quality in your life. So when you don't know what to do, and maybe you don't know what you want, you have to consider that it's because you don't know who you are. So the fear of success, the fear of failure, the fear of change, whether it's good or bad, is what we're talking about. How do we account for that resistance and manage it in such a way that we can flow with the change and then, once in motion, stay in motion? I had a teacher that used to say, the hardest part of moving the refrigerator is getting it unstuck from the floor. To get going, to get up to speed. You know, if you've ever had to push a stalled car, uh, less so today because people don't have standard transmissions, but back in the day, you could always pop the clutch, and that would usually work if the starter was not working, burned out, or your battery was low or something. Get a couple of guys to help you push the car, put it in first or usually second gear, and then just pop the clutch and the engine jump starts. So if you've ever had the experience of pushing a car, you know the first couple steps are the hardest and require the most work, the most effort, because that object wants to stay at rest. But as you pick up a little momentum, okay, these are the laws of inertia, as you get that car rolling or the refrigerator unstuck from the floor, now it's a little easier to keep moving, to stay moving, and that's what we want to do. So whenever you feel stuck in life, this is, this is so important. I want you to consider that stuck is not being done to you, that you are really holding on. That stuck is the experience of holding on. What do we do when we experience fear and anxiety, when we're said nicely resistant to change and we, we know we need it and we can benefit from it, whatever it is. It could be a habit uh, to stop smoking or lose weight. It could be to get more organized or to clean up the house. It could be to start that project that you've been putting off. It could be to get out into the world and engage other people and create a network of friends and allies and supporters and, and maybe even uh, uh, a special uh, uh, partner, a romantic mate or soulmate, so-called. And getting off the dime, taking the risk to move out, 
to face both the fear of success as well as the fear of failure requires that we understand the nature of fear, which is things unknown, at the center of which is the self. All of your hurt, all of your upset is supported by fear. All of your hurt, all of your upset, every so-called negative feeling is an indication of what you do not know about yourself. And that creates anxiety, stress, muscular tension. It's a holding on. So we hold on physically, the body gets tight, but more importantly, we hold on to everything else in our lives. And we call it stuck, don't you see? We call it stuck, but it's really holding on. So what's the antidote to getting unstuck? How am I going to get out of this mess? How am I going to get the refrigerator unstuck from the floor or or, <laughs> or begin to create some movement? Let's get this old car moving here. How do I get unstuck? You let go. What do you mean let go? I'm stuck. No, what you call stuck is holding on. Okay? This is huge. This is just the beginning of today. I'm, I'm not going to do a long class today. But this is really what we're talking about. Again, I want to remind you, the question box is at the bottom of the page. And if you have a question, and, and uh, even if you just want to say hi, then uh, type in your first name in your city. Your last name's fine, too. But I'm just looking for a first name in the city and a little comment or question about this whole idea because <clears throat> I would like to uh, address it a little bit further. So what is our resistance to change? It's fear. What is the feeling of being stuck? It's really the holding on that says, uh, I'm not going anyplace, I'm staying right here. And I may be miserable, but at least it's familiar. Boy, if we're honest, everybody knows that one. In psychology, there's a phrase about comfort zones. Well, I'm resistant to change and I don't want to take the risk of moving out of my comfort zone. I've always thought that was odd. There's nothing comfortable about our resistance to change or even growth. Nothing uh, comfortable about uh, holding on because we're afraid to go anyplace. What is it? What benefit do we get if not comfort? Familiarity. What is called often in psychology, a comfort zone. And he didn't want to or she didn't want to move out of their comfort zone. They weren't willing to take a risk. Hey, it's got nothing to do with comfort. Uh, being stuck and being frightened is not comfortable at all. It's familiar, though. It's like, I know my pain. I'm This is my old buddy suffering. I know my misery. I've turn these same arguments over and over in my head uh, uh, thousands of times. At least it's familiar. At least I know that I'm suffering. At least I know I'm in pain. At least I know I'm confused and don't <laughs> don't know what to do. Uh, that's something. We have to, anytime there's resistance to change, we have to look at the payoff. You know, this this strikes a lot of us as odd the first time we encounter it. What do you mean payoff? What what reward could I possibly get for suffering from fear and feeling stuck and afraid to move forward to take a step? 
and seeing it is so so difficult. This is it. This is the reward that you get. You're familiar with it. I've actually had people say to me, Michael, in in, in private sessions, they'll say, don't take my fear away. I want you to take away my suffering, my pain, my emotional heartache, but not my fear. I need my fear. I want my fear. How would I know if I'm afraid if you take away my fear? And I say, really? So you feel safe when you're afraid? Yeah. Again, it's not safe. It's familiar. I mean, what sense does it make to follow that argument? Don't take my fear away. I'm so familiar with it. If you stripped away my fear and I was fearless, well, that would be scary because I'm not in touch with my fear. So safety is scary. Fear is safe. That's jabberwocky. <laughs> it's upside down, backwards, and inside out. I'm safer when I'm afraid, and I'm too afraid to be safe. You see? I remember, you know, years ago, I still play with these entrainment devices. I'm surprised they never got more popular. Brain entrainment devices, so-called light and sound machines, have been around for gosh, close to 20 years, and it's like instant meditation, Buddha in a box. The idea is that you put on these glasses and these headphones, and the lights flash, and the tones in the headphones pulsate at a certain rhythm, and then depending on the program you choose in the little computer box, those lights and the sounds that accompany the lights flash slower and slower and slower and lower the rate of flashing, lower. And entrainment means the brain waves follow. And as brain waves are reduced, you let go of tension and become safer. You feel safer as a result of letting go of that tension. Remember I said stuck is really holding on? Well, I can remember on a couple of occasions, one occasion in particular, the guy broke my glasses. Uh he put this thing on and he started to relax you could see him very quickly within two or three minutes you could just see his shoulders drop and uh, his whole carriage just began to as he sat in the chair he just started relaxing and softening all of a sudden he leaps up rips the glasses off throws them across the room they're plugged into a little device that goes with it this little I mean, there's several, several hundred dollars, and he threw it across the room. And I said, hey, what, what's the deal? And he said, I got scared. I said, what was scary? He said, I felt too safe. <laughs> right? So if feeling safe is unknown, here's your paradox. If feeling safe is so unfamiliar to you and unknown, you're going to experience feelings of safety is fear and long for the fear that allows you to feel safe. And if that's not a paradox, I don't know what is. You need to understand that. You need to account for that. That's not your comfort zone. That's familiarity. So being stuck, which is really holding on, being afraid of success as well as failure, the payoff is that at least it's familiar. I'm miserable I've always been miserable. Maybe I'm overstating your life um, because we all have high.
highs and lows in their life. How would you know the highs if you didn't have the lows? How would you know how to feel great if sometimes you had days when you didn't feel so great? How would you read black print on a page if the color of the paper wasn't, uh, you know, white or of high contrast? We, we, we need the, the duality that forms these paradoxes in our lives. We need fear to know love. We need ignorance to recognize understanding. But the paradox of feeling safer when I'm frightened and being frightened of feeling safe is certainly one that I would hope that you would ponder and and, and look right into that whole paradox, that whole fear and our resistance to change. <coughs> In the quotation that I put in Friday's email that invited you to this event, I quote uh, Honest Din, and I don't have it in front of me. I can only paraphrase it, but it was something about when the pain of remaining like the bud of a flower became bigger than the risk of blossoming, I allowed myself to blossom. I let go. This is the awkward process that most of us go through when we deal with our resistance to growth, change, becoming the best that we can be. Too often it's a matter of remaining where you are. Again, the stuck feeling that we're describing is holding on the result of real muscular tension and metaphysical tension, a response to that fear is holding on to it. We often feel like the fear is holding on to us, but it's us holding on to the fear. And so we stay in that place until it just becomes so painful that we reach a tipping point, and the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the fear, the pain, the associated risk with stepping forward. And then and only then do most people take that forward step. And even then, hesitatingly, right? very few great leaps, let's just go for it. Right? And as we get older and older, and ought to be better at going for it, really making that leap, often we become even more tentative and uh, more hesitant to move forward into those changes, whether they're positive or negative. You know, there's research to back this up, too. Uh, a, a, a quite a bit of research on, on a, a, in the field of stress and stress management that shows that a positive outcome can be just as stressful as a negative. In other words, uh, see if you can relate to this, getting a brand-new job or a promotion being hired into a new company, a new position. That can be every bit as stressful as being fired from the old job. Can you relate to that? The fear of success or the fear of failure. They're two sides of the same coin. It's not necessarily that the outcome is positive, a new job, or negative. Hey, I just got fired. That constitutes the stress. It's the change, whether for better or worse. You just don't know. And uh, having a baby in the family 
is every bit as stressful than the death of the family. And sometimes that catches us off guard. We're, we're a little confused about why that should be. Or moving into a new house, brand new home, uh, just as stressful as being foreclosed upon in the old house. You know, you might find that hard to believe, but there's quite a bit of empirical research to show that it just doesn't matter whether the change is growthful or some sort of failure or loss. It's the change itself that is scary, creates anxiety, stress, muscular tension, and that holding on feeling in your body, the tight muscles. And that just not only does that raise your your brain wave rate and uh, your pulse rate and your blood pressure, but uh, psychologically it promotes fear and as I said a few moments ago, if that fear is familiar, we'd almost rather stay right where we are until that familiarity becomes so painful that we've got to take a step forward. And, it, and, and that's often the process, that I resisted change, even if I knew it was positive and growthful and, and beneficial. I, I I, I was so afraid of the unknowns. I was so afraid of my own success and the unknowns that are that are part of that success that I experienced it as if it were failure and uh, just kept holding on until that pain that felt so familiar increased to the point that I went ahead and took the risk. Okay, that's most of us. We stay stuck. We continue to hold on until the hurt. We may be familiar with it, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now, at some point, uh, as Anis Nin says in that quotation, I, I decided to blossom, to let myself go. Right. So anytime you feel stuck, consider that you're holding on. You're holding on. And why would you hold on to something that's scary and painful? Because it's familiar. Forget that comfort zone stuff that the uh, shrink talked about. So, in this context, we can see why success is just as frightening as failure to most people most of the time, because it's full of things unknown. Okay, starting with, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, codependence, our need to manage what other people think of us. Boy, this is a big mistake. I mean, we all want to be liked by other people, but if that want becomes a need, if we need the praise of other people, then that's a weakness. Okay. Um, I'm not saying that, especially here at Father's Day, that uh, there's not some benefit in having a partner, a husband or a wife who, who supports you, some sort of partner, a friend even, uh, that's with you through thick and thin and telling you you're doing a good job. Nothing wrong with having that. Again, we all want that. It's just at some point if our need for that becomes so great, then uh, we have to answer it with more self-reliance because it's just too stressful to have to get everybody on board with you, to try to manipulate them or manage other people and their opinions in such a way. This is classic codependence, and uh, 
part of the courage necessary to take the risk to move into your change, your growth, your benefits, and your success is being able to pull upon an inner strength to be able to really change fear into excitement and change the way you experience those feelings in your body. I mean, what is this? Uh, weak knees? Uh, butterflies in your belly? Uh, heart palpitations? A lump in your throat? Sweaty palms? And dilated pupils? Is that fear? Or is that excitement? And the point is you don't know. There have been many times that we've registered these kinds of symptoms in the body. Again, weak knees, girded loin, butterflies in the belly, heart palpitations, you know, high blood pressure, your pupils dilate, your palms get sweaty. We've experienced that as excitement. We've experienced those same feelings as fear. We experience those feelings as, oh, boy, but we also experience them as, oh, no. <laughs> and often blended together at the very same time. If somebody says, or if you say to yourself, check it in, uh, is this fear or excitement, you might get an affirmative on both counts. Yeah, it's a blend of both. I, I often think of being a, a, a little kid, you know, at the uh, at the roller coaster. I grew up in a little beachside community in southwestern Michigan, right on Lake Michigan, straight opposite Chicago, and we had an amusement park there called Silver Beach. Boy, it was a classic uh, amusement park. It had a fun house with the funny mirrors and, and uh, all the different, uh, uh, well, I can't even describe them, little rides and attractions that were going on in the fun house. And the, they had, like, carny booths where you would try to knock down the milk bottles with the ball or try to, you know, use the mallet to ring the bell and demonstrate your strength. Well, anyway, they had an old-fashioned uh, roller coaster there, a wood-framed roller coaster, right? A lot of you in L.A. may remember down in Long Beach, wasn't it called the Pike? And I think there was uh, still maybe one up in Santa Cruz on the beach, too. Sort of a Coney Island thing. Well, I used to love that roller coaster and hate that roller coaster at the same time. There was a, every time I stood in line, there was this blend of, oh boy, or oh no, at the same time, blended together. Bill Cosby, back in the day, did a comedy record when he was a young man, uh, did several very popular comedy albums, and I remember one, he's talking about being a, a, a kid, a little kid, and listening in what would have been the late 30s or 1940s, uh, during the war, just after the war, to a program called Lights Out with Arch Obler. I'm not, I'm not even old enough to remember it, but being a radio person, I know some of the history. And Lights Out, they come on every, I think, Thursday nights. And, you know, there's no TV in, this, in these days, so people gather around their big radio sets and, and lights out, everybody. And that's what you do as a kid. You get together with your friends or your brothers and sisters, and you turn out all the lights, and 
And Cosby in this comedy record talks about, oh, boy, I'm going to be so scared. You know, come on, scare me to death. I love to be terrified, right? What is that? Same thing, same thing, this blend of oh, no, and oh, boy, this blend of fear and excitement. And here's where you get to put in the door. Here's where you learn to deal with this paradox of holding on to your fear because it's familiar. And learning to let go of that in favor of a very similar set of feelings. I mean, really just changing the way you interpret the way you feel. So here's my argument. I would say that if you have this feeling or some combination of you know, weak knees, girded loins, butterflies, heart palpitations, sweaty palms. <laughs> uh, okay. What do you experience that? As, man, I'm so excited to get on this roller coaster. Or, man, I'm so terrified that I might go flying out of the roller coaster. Is a function of what you do with the feeling. It's a function of your response. And... When we continue to hold on to the feeling, you can be guaranteed that it will be experienced as oh no, as fear. If instead you take a nice slow deep breath and exhale as if breathing right into that anxiety, as if exhaling right into that fear and feel in your body a feeling of letting go and even stepping forward into it, taking that first step as you let go, hear me clearly, these very same feelings in your body, the weak knees, the gritted loins, the, the butterflies in the tummy, the heart palpitations, all of this, will be experienced as excitement instead of fear. But you have to make the decision to breathe and, in a sense, step forward. We have to look at our fears. Fear of success, fear of failure. Our fear of change, our fear even of growth. Our fear of all things unknown, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's success or failure, I don't know. Even if it was guaranteed, all success, it's still scary because it's unknown. We have to experience that as an opportunity, it seems to me, an opportunity to learn. That excitement, oh boy, I get to learn something. Oh boy, I get to test myself. Oh boy, I get to find out just how exciting this could be. It's not what's done to you. It's what you do with what's done to you. And if you're calling, you know, your resistance to change, uh, fear of success or of failure, it hardly matters. It's things unknown. We have to face that fear if we're going to know and understand it. If I run away from fear, and this fear is not danger, but as is much more often the case, things unknown. If I run away from it, I'll never know, and the fear will chase me, and I'll always be afraid. Fear chases you and it haunts you because it has a gift for you. It wants to tell you, here, take this gift. I represent something that you don't know about yourself. And if you would but face the fear, take a breath, step into it, even if you don't know to what extent it's going to be successful or some sort of failure, 
uh, you can experience the excitement that gets you going, and then you stay in motion. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. Unfortunately, a body at rest, of course, tends to stay at rest. I'd like to answer a couple of questions here. Let me refresh my numbers and uh, see where we are. Hold on one sec here. Okay, good. Um want to say hi to the people that are listening online and have uh, submitted uh, a little comment or question here. looks like I have all comments, no questions. Um, first of all, John in Pittsburgh is with us every week. Hello, John. Nice to hear from you again. Uh, Carol in La Habra, she says, Happy Father's Day, a day to honor the true father. That's oh, very nice. That's oh, very nice. I said earlier, I'm not a father, but of course I had a father. That's another story for another day. He's long past, died as a young man, actually. But um, the father aspect of spirituality is what Carol's talking about, and that's a nice idea. I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, the father aspect of divinity represents will, purpose, and power, uh, intention, and uh, a decision, really a choice. And when we talk about fear as an opportunity, I think uh, that's appropriate too. We can tie that in. Out of Huntington Beach, Lorelei. Hello, Lorelei. She says, how do we move on and keep connection with the people we love who are part of the stuck times? Well, I have to think about what you mean by this, Lorelei. Give me a second here, because if they're people you love, then it ought to be easy to stay in touch with them. But I think what you're saying is we love them, but if I'm going to get unstuck and grow, I have to move beyond these relationships. I think that's probably what you're saying. And so we do continue to love them and care for them. You know, What do you do with people who are abusive? I remember uh, somebody telling actually I think it was a Catholic nun, one of the few things I ever really learned from Catholicism. Uh, she said, you don't have to like everybody, you just have to love them all. And of course, as a little boy, you know, grade school, I, I remembered it. It stunned me. I loved the paradox again, but I really didn't know what that meant. I have a little better sense now of what that means. You know, if people are hurting you and abusing you and holding you back, then, um, yeah, you got to let that go. The beautiful thing about love is that you don't ever have to hold on to love. This is sort of tangential to what we're talking about today, but then again, love is the ultimate truth, so it pervades everything. To understand love is magnetic, to understand love as a force, to understand the role of love as consciousness in the law of attraction. What is the law of attraction, that secret for manifestation? It's that not only do you need a clear, specific idea, a mental image of a desired outcome, you got to care about it. you got to love it. You've got to have some passion and some faith and some belief. 
And that emotional nature is the force behind the energy. And that's the electromagnetic part. We're, we even use the word, I'm attracted to you. Or I see that you're attracted to me. Or we're both attracted to this or that or the other thing. It means we love it. It's magnetic. Love is not a commodity that we pass around. Here, I'll give you a pound of love if you give me a pound of love. <laughs> or here's a gallon of love. Give me a gallon of love back. Love is a force field. It's a unifying electromagnetic force field. So the consequences is you don't have to hold on to love. All holding on is fear. Love is the letting go of fear. So if you love somebody, you do let them go, in a sense, Lorelei. Love is letting go. And so... We may have different motives or reasons for letting go. I'm letting go of you because you're abusive. I'm letting go of you because you're negative. I'm letting go of you because you pull me down. Because misery loves company and you want me to be miserable with you. I'm letting go. And that's a quality of love. It might might mean that you don't hang around with them, but you could still send them a a card on their birthday or give them a phone call in the holidays, see how they're doing. And if that relationship begins to get abusive again, then, you you know, well, look at the clock, got to run, gee. But at least you made the effort. You did the nice little thing. So love is letting go. There's a great book by, most of you guys probably know it, by Dr. Gerald Zimpolsky that uh, has that as a title. And Course in Miracles talks about that, too. Love is letting go, fear is holding on. So work with that. Love is letting go. All letting go is love, all love is letting go. All holding on is fear. And all fear is holding on. So to let go of the fear is love. To try to hold on to love, well, that would be fear, wouldn't it? (laughs) Don't go. Don't leave me. I can't live without you. Don't you see how much I love you? No, what I see is how much you fear losing the love, you see. Okay, so how do we move on and keep connection with the people we love? Uh, the, The fact that you love them maintains that connection. It's magnetic. Love is everywhere. Love is equally present. That's a great, one of the great phrases in the ageless wisdom. Uh, I think Dan Morrison, who's a theosophist, by the way, studied Bailey and Blavatsky. Dan Morrison does a song about love is everywhere. Uh, very nice phrase. So it's like a fish doesn't have to make sure there's water at his destination. You know, he <laughs> fish doesn't have to carry water with it. Imagine a fish in search of water. But that's us looking for love. It's everywhere, and all we have to do is allow ourselves to see it. Albert in Rosemead. Hi, Michael. Glad to be here listening to you. Uh, my name's Albert, and I just want to say hi for now. Hello, Albert. Thanks for checking in from Rosemead. In Irvine, Kasha, great to continue having on the air, having you on the air on a regular basis. Uh, what you're talking about and reminding me of, especially today, cannot be repeated enough. Thank you for your persistence. Yeah. I appreciate that, Kashi, and uh, I sometimes am concerned that uh, I uh, 
am too repetitive. I got to tell you, with all my years, radio and seminars, classes, and now we do these webinars that we're out here in Hawaii. Um, I, I have a concern that I examine, I check in a lot. Am I being too redundant? Am I, am I being too repetitive? Am I uh, insulting people by saying the same thing over and over again? Well, all, all I can say is I hope not. And thank you. I, I, I hope most people do see that as persistent. I struggle with these things. Okay. I'm holding myself out to you today as a teacher, but as a student who teaches, right, uh, I'm, I'm dealing with my own struggles uh, in life. Everybody does. You know, Even Christ was tempted. Nobody gets a free pass down here. It's one of my uh, pet peeves about those uh, spiritual advisors, so-called, who call themselves master who dare to hold themselves out and describe themselves as master, uh, indicating by the very fact they call themselves a master that they could not possibly be. What have you mastered if you if you need that kind of title to build up your ego? Certainly not your ego. And so uh, it's not mastery, really, that we seek so much as humility. Mastery, again, another paradox, right? Uh, remember, Lao Tzu said, all truth is found in paradox. Mastery is in humility, not arrogance. So, uh, there's a great saying, you know, those that know don't say, and those who say don't know. One who realizes that they're a master, the last thing they would ever do is <laughs> call themselves a master. Uh, along these lines, too, I'd like to say that the age of the guru is the old age, the Piscean age the age that we've moved out of. And while we'll always need teachers, hear me clearly, and I encourage each of you to teach whenever you have an opportunity. Teach from a humble place, not from an arrogant place. But be a teacher. Share your knowledge. Share what you know. And uh, yet, I think that age is going, the age of the guru, of the swami, of the all-knowing master, and being replaced in this new age, the so-called Aquarian age that we're moving into, with qualities of self-initiated growth. It's a phrase that I learned studying theosophy, self-initiated growth. And self-initiated is almost redundant. If you initiate something, then you're the one that did it. You began it. You took the first step. But another paradox, we use the word initiate often to talk about a person that is experiencing uh, a ceremony performed by something else. I'm going to knight you or uh, initiate you uh, into this group or organization. Uh, Self-initiated growth is what we're talking about, and I feel really strongly about this, an end to the idea of the earthly master. Uh, seek out teachers, but know that you're, the master is within you. The master that you're looking for is already inside you, in the center of your heart, and discernible by a quiet mind. And the love that we're looking for, of course, is within us. But it's so unfamiliar that it looks like fear. Isn't that odd? And as I summarize and recap in a minute, we'll, <laughs> we'll go back to that. You know, Even a fear of love. 
is fear first. And if you hold on to it, then uh, you're not going to experience it as love, but as fear. Great irony. Um, but the oh, Kush has responded again already. Uh, talking about persistence and my anxieties about being too repetitive, Kasha says, um, there is validity in being repetitive. Uh, he says, the truth, capital P, has been known for ages. The problem has been that it either gets hidden from us or we hide from it. So it does need to be repeated over and over uh, until it hits the mark. And even then, we need to be reminded of it or remind ourselves of it. So you're doing the right thing, and hopefully I will too soon. <laughs> Love, Kasha. Well, thanks, uh, Kasha. I, I, that's what I was looking for, and that's that's my feeling. I'd, I'd certainly like to uh, err on the side of being perhaps a little repetitive or a little redundant because, you know, even if... Even if this stuff makes perfect sense to you, and um, and you feel that you're conversant with it and familiar with it, you know we put down our self-help books, we turn off the computer, or hang up the phone at the end of the webinar, uh, and we go out into the world where this information is not honored, and where people celebrate their fear and. And try to fear you, uh, try to fear you, <laughs> try to frighten you. And uh, it's so easy just to get sucked into that, uh, you know, network of, of, of fear and anxiety in the world. Uh, I, I really think the ancient admonition to, to take one day a week uh, to keep holy. One day a week, whether you see that as the first day or the last day, a Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday, I don't care. But I think it's a great idea to take one day a week to do no commerce, to do to do no work, uh, to be yes in the world but not of the world at least for that day. And then maybe we can carry the benefits of that out into those other six days as well. But to set aside a time for reflection and introspection and, and self-study, self-study, uh, it's, it's just essential, I think, absolutely essential. So we'll risk uh, being a little repetitive. Thanks for that. Anybody else who have uh, questions or comments, uh, put them into the submission box at the bottom of the page. Put your first name and city in there that's a question or comment and I'll check that again so we're talking about fear really as an opportunity to grow to learn to understand we need to face fear to move directly into the heart of darkness and here's my lesson for the day today the fear of things unknown that's what fear is a feeling, or a set of feelings, combination of hurt and upset and irritation that reveals or potentially reveals things to you that you don't know. That's why you're frightened of them, because you don't understand them. Okay. And I've already given you a great example of how we're so confused in this area that often we don't know the difference between love and fear. Again, don't go. I can't 
I, I can't live without you. Uh, I, I've got to have you. Don't you see how much I love you? That's not love. That's the fear of losing love, which we've already said could not be lost because it's everywhere equally present. And indeed, if it has a source, a spiritual source, for all the great traditions say God is love, that would be within you and discernible with a calm emotional nature and a quiet mind. So we've got our meditation exercise for the day coming up, so stick around for a few more minutes and we'll use those states of a calm heart, a calm emotional nature, and a quiet mind. So to see the opportunity in our resistance to change, to see it as two sides of a coin, I can either hold on and continue to be afraid, or breathe and let go and step forward into it and experience those same feelings in my body that I've been calling fear, those very same feelings I will now experience as excitement, as oh boy, as enthusiasm. These are the only two ways to motivate. To motivate yourself or to motivate other people. Now, most people use fear because it's easy and it works. Whether you're managing other people, managing yourself, or trying to manage your kids, you just you, you scare them. You, you, you scare other people, you scare yourself. Well, threats and intimidation. If you don't do this, you know. Well, it's sad enough that we talk to other people and even children that way and then call it parenting, but to parent yourself that way, to talk to yourself in negative terms, like if you don't do this and this horrible thing will happen to you, is, uh, you know, where did we learn that? We learned that from frightened parents who learned it from their frightened parents who learned it from their frightened parents. So much of what life is about is simply transmuting. Fear and ignorance into love and understanding, lifting order out of chaos. And this is the process. It requires that we face it. We see all of our anxiety as opportunities. How about just simply set opportunities to learn from your mistakes? But that would require that you look directly at the mistake, wouldn't it? I've probably told this story before, too, but it's a good... <laughs> It's a good one. When I, uh, oh gosh, it's been 13, 14 years ago now since uh, the city of Glendale asked me to be a work as a disaster preparedness consultant for the Red Cross in Glendale. We started doing these uh, after-action reviews, lessons learned. And I was used to working with people who want to change, who, you know, come to sessions and write me checks and you know I've made my living helping people grow and change and improve and be better and so I, I, I was a little surprised when I encountered a culture of people who were totally resistant to change and saw these after action reviews lessons learned uh, a culture of continual improvement as demeaning and degrading and they say what did we do wrong I mean they were used to a culture where everything was happy happy joy joy and so I said you did a great job didn't you hear me say that everybody we all did a great job you guys were wonderful 
I really appreciate you as volunteers coming here to the Red Cross to help us with this event and that event. But now that it's over, maybe we can learn something from it. And boy, did I kick up a, a, a cloud of dust there. There was anger and hostility. People were quitting. They didn't want to be in that culture. They did not want to grow. They did not want to look for the opportunity to be better. They wanted this little social club where it's all happy, happy, joy, joy. Well, what could make you happier than sharing growth with another person and getting better and better? You know, I love that Emil Kue affirmation. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. For years on the radio, when people would say, how you doing? That awkward little intro everybody does at the beginning of the phone call. Fine, how are you? Fine. You're probably not fine, but you know they don't want to really hear <laughs> the truth about how you're doing. How about just better and better? That's what I used to say. Better and better. And sometimes people would say, oh, have you been sick? You know, what's wrong? I said, nothing. I'm just, I'm, I'm a human becoming. <laughs> not only a human being, in every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better and better. That means we've got to look at what is not getting better. We've got to look at fear. We've got to see where we're holding on and calling it stuck. Right? We've got to look at the heart of what we don't know about ourselves. Find the opportunity for learning and growth and then step into it. And what better way to do that than with a deep breath, as I said before, and as you exhale in particular, feel a sense of letting go in your body because you're not stuck. You're holding on. That muscular tension comes from what you don't know. Face it. Take a breath. Step into it. Feel the letting go as you step forward. And look for the opportunities to learn and grow and understand. You know, Yeah, it's risky, but that's where the fun is. That's where the excitement really is. So, yeah, fear is a great way to motivate, you might say. You know, it really works, you know. Uh, and, and in this we include uh, just insult and intimidation. I had a football coach that used to call us girls when he wanted to motivate us. His idea of motivation was making us angry. Well, that's a fear. Okay, Anger is a hurt feeling, so it's rooted in fear and represents what we don't know about ourselves. And so he called that motivation, you know, get angry. And he'd say, come on, ladies, come on, girls, let's not wrinkle your pretty little party dresses. You know what the high school football coach did once? In a big homecoming game, he went out and burned into our football field in the middle of the night, the day before the game, he took gasoline and burned a big letter D in our football field, in the grass of the football field, because the team we were supposed to play that week was named Dewajiak. It's a little city in southwestern Michigan. Indian name, sort of a nice name, Dewajiak. I like it. And a uh, little town, nice little town, and that's who we were going to play. So he burned a big letter D in the football field, trying to make us angry because in his midget mind, his small way of thinking, anger as a function of fear is a, a 
is tension. And any athlete will tell you that tension is your enemy. That's why I always thought John McEnroe was a put-on. You know how he'd try to intimidate the judges, act like a little boy, and scream and yell, and throw his tennis racket down? And I thought, I've always thought, that's got to be a put-on, a way of intimidating the judge, the umpire, the referee, whatever they're called in tennis. Uh, so that the so that the umpire, the referee, the judge is afraid to upset John McEnroe any further. But I always thought like he's a professional athlete; he's really good at what he does. So he's got to know that that anger, if it were real, would be carried in his body as tension. It would make him uncoordinated. It would drain him of power and. Uh, his game would suffer as a result. So if I ever meet John McEnroe, I'm going to ask him that. I really think that was all a put-on. And that, in fact, he knew the importance of breathing and relaxing and letting go, shaking it off, every good athlete does. But your mental and emotional performance is just as much a function of that love, of that breathing, of that letting go of tension. That's, <laughs> that's it. Uh, as any kind of physical performance, okay? So it's exactly the same uh, same deal, same situation. All right, let me see, let me refresh the page, see if we have any other comments or questions, and then we'll do our uh, meditation for the day. Lorelei in Huntington Beach responding after her first question that I talked about, uh, staying in touch with people or loving people even after you move on. She says, thanks for the clarity. I'm starting a new career. And that was the answer I was looking for. Love to you always. Great, Lorelai. Congratulations. Send me an email and let me know about your new career. I'd like to know about it. And also Randy in Lake Forest. Hi, Randy. Nice to hear from you. On being repetitive, he says, studies show that we typically forget what we learn within 72 hours. And, uh, He's, uh, he says his source on that is uh, Rick Warren out of Saddleback Church. Blessings, Randy. Hi. Thank you for that, Randy. I, I agree. I think we need to repeat. Um, if somebody thinks I'm too repetitive, well, I'll take the loss. If the rest of us can benefit from a bit of repetition, I do. I Again, I, I, I teach what I feel I need to learn. There's a great saying, he who teaches learns twice another reason I encourage you guys to be good teachers. All right, well, let's do our um, meditation for the day, our guided imagery exercise. See, a lot of folks have come online since we began, so I want to remind you guys the replay will be available at the same web link about five minutes or ten minutes after we finish and uh, forevermore. One of the great things about where we are in terms of computers, uh, storage, memory is so inexpensive now that uh, everything gets saved. YouTube, forever. <laughs> it's changing the world. And so these programs are being archived and saved forevermore. So use the web link that you use to get here after the fact, and you can hear the whole program with a built-in player. You don't even need to use your audio players. It's built in on the website, and uh, you can listen. The whole archive is on our website, michaelbenner.com or 
theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside, and then web teleconference will take you to the archive, and you can listen uh, at any time, either streaming or you can just download the file to your computer. Okay. We're also podcast. Remember, if you want to have a backup, that's free too and easy and fun. You just need iTunes or some other pod catcher on your computer, and uh, you can subscribe at the iTunes Music Store free podcast of this event every week. The Ageless Wisdom Podcast. Just go to the iTunes Music Store and put my name in there. All right, gang, let's uh, do a little visualization exercise, relaxation, and uh, install the lessons on a real deep level that we've discussed today. So get comfortable. And providing it's appropriate and safe, close your eyes and relax. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power. Pause for a moment as you peek and exhale slowly. Breathing out, feel the letting go. Go beyond where you'd normally stop and then take a second. And in time, a third. Nice, slow, deep breath. And feel as you exhale the letting go. After you've done that a few times, allow your breathing to find its natural rhythm. Let go of your purposeful breathing and allow your body to just breathe itself all by itself. And be the witness of that breathing. It helps to gently place your attention on the very bottom of your nose and simply watch your body breathe itself. And instead of being the breather now, you're the one who simply witnesses, watches the breathing and perhaps marvels at this miracle that is physical life and that your body does indeed breathe itself and the heart beats and body temperature and blood pressure and the repair and the replacing of cells and the fighting of disease and digesting food and a hundred thousand other responses all going on all by themselves freeing you to simply watch. And in this way, through a still body and a sense of deep relaxation and the letting go of muscular tension, feeling, feeling very safe and relaxed physically, the mind begins to quiet. Those eight or ten ideas demanding your attention reduce to six and then maybe four you're following my voice. But those ideas in your head, that stream of consciousness begins to quiet all by itself. Remember, you don't need to quiet the mind to meditate. You meditate to allow the mind to begin to quiet as you feel safer and more relaxed. And in the same way, the emotional nature becomes calm and tranquil. Mentally quiet. 
emotionally peaceful, physically still, like a, a pool of water when its surface is as smooth as glass. Feel yourself like butter on a warm day, just softening. And while remaining in this state, feeling safe and relaxed, calm and peaceful, I want you to allow yourself to remember a situation in your life, in your current life and affairs, to remember or simply bring to mind without any effort a situation where you're feeling sort of stuck, where you've been resistant to change and not sure why. Part of you wants to move forward. Part of you wants to stay with the familiar. And you feel sort of like the rope in a tug of war, as if two parts of you are pulling in opposite directions. That or a similar feeling of being stuck Maybe you experience that as tied up or down at the bottom of a big hole or a shaft like a well that you can't get out. However you experience that in your body, in your heart, and in your mind, allow one of those situations to present itself where you're feeling sort of stuck, where you'd like to move forward, but you're not sure what direction to move. And as that one situation where you're feeling a little stuck presently in your life, as that comes to mind, imagine walking all around it and looking at it from up above and down below. And imagine you have x-ray vision and you can even see inside this dilemma. Patiently explore it may even be able to wander through it, move into it, but face it. Learn everything that you can by sitting now passively, facing this feeling of being stuck, facing this fear, knowing that it matters not whether this could be a fear of success or a fear, a fear of failure. It could be a fear of some wonderful, beneficial change or a fear of failure and loss. Fear is always a fear of things unknown. Even in those rare instances where our fear is about some sort of apparent danger, what we fear is what we don't know about the danger. Face it, that you might know it. Gently and sweetly peer into the heart of darkness as if your very attention is a light that illumines and reveals that which was unknown felt like fear, 
don't like being stuck, but you now realize you've been holding on to it that you might at some point know it, understand it, see into it, face it. As an opportunity to learn a lesson about you. Don't make the mistake so often made that our explorations of fear are about things external to us, events and circumstances and people. No, 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 that's not it. That's why we stay stuck. That's what makes us hold on. Instead, know that what you don't know that constitutes this fear of success or failure, this feeling of being stuck, this holding on, is always about us. Personalize it. Look at what you don't know yet about you. Consider how much of our lives to this point have been devoted to figuring out and trying to understand other people, individuals, groups, circumstances and events that we might then be able to manage those people and those events. And it doesn't work. It just generates more fear, more stress, more muscular tension, more holding on. And the stucker, I'll invent a word, the stucker we get more and more stuck. But make it about you. Peer into the qualities of self. Dare to explore who you are. And I don't mean the role that you play. I don't mean the character that you're willing to be out into the world. And these deeply relaxed levels of expanded awareness, insight, and understanding simply care enough about yourself to peer into the heart of darkness within you. Take a look at what you don't know about yourself and see all anxiety and stress and fear, all holding on and feeling stuck, all resistance to change as an opportunity to learn about you. And consider that this whole a human being in possession of a soul. You are a spiritual being. You are the soul currently extended into form. There is nothing broken about you. You are not defective. Yes, there are areas in your life, in my life. Each of us have areas where we can do better, where we can learn, where we can develop and unfold and be all that we're meant to be. But all of us can benefit from development. We have to care about ourselves. The hero's journey is not going out into the world and facing danger. Philosophically, the hero's journey is personal. Yeah. It's facing your fear. 
even an admonition like Joseph Campbell's suggestion that we follow our bliss requires us first to orient ourselves to what we don't know. For bliss comes from exploring the unknown and finding that which is you're not broke you're not defective there's nothing wrong with you your beauty unfolding your love expanding radiating out in all directions yes everywhere equally present but developing and building and growing and healing and learning that's life Find your passion, find your love. Follow that bliss by looking into the heart of darkness. Fear, stress, anxiety, muscular tension. There's a set of feelings that reveal the parts of us that have yet to be discovered. Love and happiness and joy as emotional feelings represent what we already know about ourselves. And as you begin to understand yourself, take a breath right now. And as you exhale slowly, feel yourself letting go of that fear. You called it stuck, but you've been carrying it. You've been dragging it around as if it protected you somehow. Let it go. Feel a little vulnerable. Feel a little exposed. Just a little naked. You breathe. Imagine now stepping forward into that action. That next baby step even. Lao Tzu said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Take that step. Feel yourself moving forward with breath. And that feeling of being stuck, that feeling of fear and anxiety becomes enthusiasm and excitement and passion. Now the object that was stuck and tended to Stay stuck is in motion and will tend to stay in motion. Build that momentum, develop that, that inertia. Moving forward, learning from your mistakes. Take every opportunity that other people might call failure or a mistake. An error, or, or, or I really screwed that up. And instead, ask yourself, what can I learn about myself from this mistake, from this error? And then there are no failures. You cannot fail if you learn from what others would call failure. And as long as you don't quit, how could you fail? There is no failure for those who learn from their mistakes, who celebrate their successes, redouble their efforts, but maybe most importantly, learn from their mistakes. Transmuting in the most spiritual and alchemical sense our fear into love, our ignorance into understanding.
what you're built for. There will be some disappointment. You can survive it. They're all opportunities to learn and grow. But feel in your body the feeling of stepping forward. See yourself in your mind's eye benefiting from this change. Imagine that you've now attained that outcome, that goal, that solution. You're there now. You're unstuck. You move forward. It's unfolding, it's growing, it's developing. Imagine your friends patting you on the back and congratulating you. And feel that feeling now of getting a big hug from somebody you really respect. And they say, good job, we're really proud of you. And that helps to motivate you, but at the same time, you know that the core of your motivation is your own personal passion, your willingness to risk knowing this is what you're built for. And you're not broken, and you're not defective. There's nothing wrong with you. We're just spiritual children. Spiritual, in a spiritual sense. We're just little babies, or at best, teenagers. Imagine that goal. Feel in your body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet the wonderful feeling of and accomplishment in this specific area right now. Then it might also spread to other areas of your life where we've been resistant to change. And now we allow ourselves to blossom, to open, to reveal our innermost beauty to the full light of day. I'd like you to prepare in a moment at my suggestion to open your eyes to bring with you effortlessly a very rich and full memory of what we've just done so that you can repeat it with this particular set of feelings, this area where you've been feeling stuck and now quite motivated, spilling over into other areas of your life. orienting yourself toward the sound of my voice and telling yourself how easy it will be to remember these wonderful feelings of growth and accomplishment better and better every day in every way. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. Fill your lungs. And this time, as you exhale and it feels right for you, open your eyes wide awake, alert, feeling rested and refreshed and enthusiastic and positive and that's self-motivation. It's a little more effort to, to, to motivate yourself or others or to parent Father's Day. It's a little more effort to do it with love and vision than fear. But the benefits are extraordinary. Yeah, it's a lot easier to motivate others, even children, even yourself with fear but it extracts a horrible price. It breaks spirit. Instead, use relaxation and visualization, meditation, contemplation, introspection, and reflection 
have to be experienced or good at it. Just do it. Let go of that muscular tension. Breathe a few slow, deep breaths. And you'll motivate yourself much more effectively and efficiently with the quality of love and vision instead of anger and hatred and all that fear can bring about. Well, listen, gang, that's about all the time we have. Uh, we're coming up on uh, 2.30 on the West Coast and 5.30 in the East Coast. It's about 11.30 in the morning. Here in Maui, I want to thank you for being here and, again, wish you all a happy Father's Day. If you're not a dad, uh, everybody had one. Men and women, we all had dads. And uh, Carol's reminded us that uh, there's a spiritual connotation here to honor the father aspect of all that's divine. Again, that's will, purpose, power. The son represents love. And the body, if you will, the third part of the trinity, so-called Holy Spirit, is activity in the physical world. But the father aspect is will, purpose, and power, intention. The God's mind, if you will, to reflect upon that. And again, thanks very much for being with us. I hope you'll forward these uh, emailed invitations with the links they contain to your friends. We'll get sort of viral. It looks like, uh, with a couple exceptions, we're growing a little bit every week. And I really appreciate that. We're waging inner peace. And finally, want to call your attention to the premium podcast that I do every week with my friend Steve Snyder. It's 99 cents a week, and it's uh, roughly an hour long. It includes a visualization exercise. It's a conversation between the two of us, and it is pithy. It is profound. Uh, we build on each other and end up saying things we didn't really know we knew until we said them. And for 99 cents, it's just silly, less than $4 a month. Put that on your debit card, your credit card. Go to FocusPassion.com. In the lower right of the website you're looking at, Click on that button, Wage Inner Peace Now, and that will take you to the website. Again, thanks for listening and being with us today. Have a wonderful Father's Day and a great Sunday. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Love to get some email from you, mb at michaelbenner.com. If you want to email me, mb, my initials, at michaelbenner.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Maui, Hawaii. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.